Welcome everybody to Beyond the Shadows. I'm author and ghost historian Mike Ricksecker. On my own again this evening, I know. Um, but we're going to be talking about the Alaska Triangle. Um, kind of recapping what happened on the show. Kind of my final thoughts and things that we may be pursuing here down the road as we go forward. Now, on our uh, previous show this evening on Edge of the Rabbit Hole, which if you did not see it, you need to go out to the Edge of the Rabbit Hole channel and go watch it after this or tomorrow, because by the time this gets over, it'll be late. Um, our interview with Johnny Enoch, and Johnny is an amazing guy. He's a uh, he's a researcher of this field. He's been all over. Um, you know, it tackles a number of different subjects, but uh, he was one of my uh, co-stars, for lack of a better term, up there on the Alaska Triangle. Now, we didn't actually film together. Uh, we were filmed separately, but a lot of our parts intermingled uh, with each other. And, uh, you know, basically Johnny and I finished out the show, uh, which was which was really cool. And that, that last episode, um, half of it was about uh, uh, Bigfoot, but then the, the last half of it, which kind of ended the season, was about... Uh, the mysterious, what they call the mysterious force fields of the Alaska Triangle. And it's, you know, up there is really a hotbed of that type of electromagnetic activity, which is, you know, where the idea of the Alaska Triangle comes up, uh, where it comes from, originates, you know, kind of the idea of the Bermuda Triangle or any of these other triangle areas. You hear like uh, people are talking nowadays about the Nevada Triangle. The Bridgewater Triangle is, is pretty popular and famous. And so there's a lot of these different types of areas around the world that harness this this energy. They have these vortices and all these different crazy things happen. So that was, um, you know, really the, the premise of the Alaska Triangle was, um, you know, all these mysterious disappearances, um, you know, all kinds of cryptic activity going on up there. Um, you know, of course, you have the uh, reports of the UFO sightings, all these different things going on up there. Um, something I was telling Johnny about before the show, and if you've been watching the Haunted Road Media channel, um, a couple of the videos I've thrown up there over the last several months, one was all the way back in May when I first went up there, and you guys had no idea, what the heck is Mike doing in Alaska? This was why. Um, so there was a video then, and then just a few weeks ago, um, I posted a video on the Alaska Triangle, which didn't—it it didn't give away other episodes that were coming in the season. I talked about some of the stuff on that very first episode with the missing Douglas and all that, but then threw in also a story about um, when I first went up there. This was 1992. Um, I was in the Air Force, and that was my first duty station was was Alaska Elmendorf Air Force Base, and so. Um, you know, right when I'm getting off the plane, I I can't say right when I got off the plane because it was dark, so I didn't really notice it till the next the next morning. Was that um, you know some of the white stuff falling from the sky? It was November first. There was already a ton of snow on the ground. Is you know there's some gray mixed in there, so I'm being told that well they just had a couple of volcanic eruptions. There's still ash falling from the sky, and sure enough, you know at night when we're covering up the computers, you know we're covering them up because they don't want ash getting into the equipment because this stuff is still falling from the sky. Um, so it's like, okay, I'm walking into a volcano zone. But, you know, uh, uh, several months later, there's a 6.9 earthquake. And like I said on the show, it was like a cannon went off. I mean, it was a boom. I don't know how many of you have read my uh, recent blog post from Monday. Um, you know, and I, I talk about this stuff. It was like, boom, a cannon going off and everything's shaking. It's like, oh my God. Um, and then one of the stranger things was that this is April 1993. I mean, I've only been up there, you know, a few months. And there's this crazy report. And it's true. It really happened. You know, it, it was on the news. I'm like, are you kidding me? But a plane taking off from the Anchorage airport, it its engine just fell off the plane. Just, they're taking off and, you know, they're ascending into the air. And boom, there goes the engine right off the plane. It crashes into a supermarket parking lot. Thankfully, it was on the backside, and nobody was parked back there, and nobody got hurt. Even, like, the shrapnel that fell off the airplane is falling into, like, these apartment complexes and stuff. Nobody got hurt. <laughs> but, yeah, people are, like, opening up their bedroom doors and finding, you know, these shards of metal, like, lodged into their bedroom floors. It's just crazy stuff. So, um, so yeah, Johnny and I were talking before the show about some of that stuff um, because, you know, I mean, the show only shows 
so much. And, uh, you know, not everything that we talked about or we did. I mean, I was up on the side of that mountain like all day in between like the three episodes that I was on. It's like that, what, that last bit was like 20 minutes. And then between the other couple of spots, it was probably maybe another, you know, five or six minutes combined. So <laughs> for being up on the mountain all day, it wasn't a lot. But still, it was um, it was really interesting. Um, something else he and I were talking about before the show, and he, he mentioned it really briefly there on um, the Edge of the Rabbit Hole uh, episode that we just did with him, was that, at a lot of these different sites of power, and I didn't know this, and Johnny kind of informed me about this. Um, he was asking me about, you know, where you were at, because he was he was impressed by, you know, some of the reactions that I was getting with the dowsing rods, and um, you know, we were certainly picking up on something anomalous there. And he's like, where you were at, you know, were there, you know, thorny bushes, you know, ones that had like prickers and, and things like that, you know, in these in this in the brush, and it's like. Well, yeah, that stuff was kind of all around that area. And he's kind of nodding his head like, yeah, a, a lot of these different sites that have that activity. And he's talking about places out in Egypt, South America, like he's rattled off probably like a half dozen different places. And is like, yeah, you know, that it's a, a common anomaly that happens at these different sites. So it's um, it, it's really interesting as we start diving into, um, you know, this type of phenomenon, some of the. Um, consistencies that we can see across the globe with it and kind of, I mean, maybe it's something that the ancients were looking for when they were looking for like a site of power, you know, where they, where they built Stonehenge or, you know, Avebury or maybe the Rollerite stones or, you know, the Karnak stones or the pyramids or whatever. Maybe, maybe these are different things that they were looking for and like, okay, you know, here it is. And like, even with the dowsing rods, that's an ancient technology, you know, they would use that, you know, rods like that to, you know, find all kinds of things underground, like, you know, water or what have you. Um, and so that could have been like one of the things that they were looking for. Um, let's see from Betty Lange, did it feel different, Mike, than before you were there? That's an interesting question. Um, because before I was there again, I don't know how many of you read the, um, the blog that I posted when I was first there, uh, it was different. I mean, we're talking a, a difference of like 25 years from when I was last there. Um, and I was young, you know, I was like fresh out of high school. I mean, basically I graduated high school and two weeks later I was in basic training. And of course it's one of those deals where, um, you know, basic training in Texas, I have my tech school in Mississippi in like the middle of the summer. So, you know, sweating my ass off and you know it's you know got to Mississippi it's like muggy and humid and like everything sticking to your body and of course I guess into Alaska right so I'm 18 years old I turned 18 when I was in basic training so I actually entered the Air Force when I was still 17 um in fact on my on my birthday uh my 18th birthday I got to shoot an M16 for the first time so that was a treat um so you know I was very young um, a different, completely different place in my life. Um, I was homesick for sure. Uh, being all that way up in Alaska. Um, it's where I met my now ex-wife, um, had a couple of kids up there. So my focus was like in a very different place. Um, but that said, you know, there were different things, um, that, that you kind of notice and observed. Um, you know, I already mentioned, you know, some of the, the crazy things about the volatility of the land. And that's something that I pointed out um, on the shows. I talked about the volatility of the land and, um, you know, between that and the wildlife is like all over the place. I mean, you're driving down like a main road in the city and there's a moose in the road, you know, and, and crazy stuff like that. Um, but like the first apartment that we lived at um, seemed to be haunted. Uh, we asked the the, uh, the landlord when we were leaving, hey, you know, we had all this stuff going on, <laughs> especially in like the back part of the living room. Uh, you know, was it something happening here? Was it haunted? And it's like, he said no. Um, we think he was lying. And it's like, you don't really have a reason to lie. We're leaving. But maybe he didn't want us to spread rumors about the place. Um, the next place that we moved into definitely had a creepy vibe. There was a potential haunting that we debunked, and those of you on the Patreon page um, got to read that story. We debunked what we thought may have been paranormal activity, but the place still had a really creepy vibe. Um, yeah, you know, it's um, it was just 
different being up there when I was younger. My focus was in a very different area. Um, what was also creepy was the uh, the place that I worked at. It was a secure facility in the in the basement of the Alaskan Command Building. People told stories that it used to be a hospital, and that where we were at with the with the um, with the servers and everything, the, like our, the big racks and everything, were supposed to be in the room where they kept all the coolers, and it looked like that, but it never was a hospital. So. It would, which was like, okay, where'd the story come from? But people, you know, they would see shadows down there. Um, there were areas down there that would get really creepy. You know, um, it was just, I remember um, when my my mom and my sister came up to, to visit and uh, gave them a quick little tour. And my mom got really creeped out down there. So it's like, there's something going on in this building. That was that was on the base. I was on Elmendorf. So, um So just, it, it's a hard question to answer because I'm in such a different place in my life now um in getting back up there I mean I was happy to be up there for you know to do the filming and all that and to get to my first night there I mean I say night but you know you know the the daytime goes till like midnight up there right um you know I was just touring around kind of like things that I didn't really I did some touring around of course while I lived there but it's like because I was in a different place in my life, I got to appreciate it a lot more doing those sorts of things than when I was like 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, you know? So, um, so it's a good question to ask, but it, there's just such a difference in years that it's, it's, um, it, it's hard <laughs> to say <laughs> that things were similar. Um, but you know, I went to an old restaurant that we used to go to and, um, you know, they, they still served great food. <laughs> Um, let's see if you guys have another question here. I'm just kind of scrolling down really, um, really quick. So, okay. Tom McNicholas, how high above sea level were you in Alaska? You talked about the air was thin. Um, so yeah, I mean, Anchorage and Elmendorf, I mean, they're right there. I mean, the Cook Inlet's right there. So the sea level is there. And then, you know, basically you have like the town and the base and then, you go up into the mountains. So, um, yeah, it's, um, I mean, you can get to a, uh, to thin air pretty quick, right? <laughs> if you just go up into the mountain. So when we were on, um, when we did the filming, it was flat top mountain right outside of Anchorage in, uh, Kugiak, uh, state park. And which anybody watching this will, you know, criticize, and that's from Alaska, will criticize the way that I say it because I always mispronounce the name. Sorry, guys. I just always have. Even when I lived up there, I mispronounced it. Um, and so it was, yeah, I mean, it was it was cold up there. It was like down in Anchorage. It's like, you know, I'm going, you know, I, I didn't need my jacket or anything. It was nice. And it was, it was May. It was the middle of May. It's, you know, they do have spring and, and summer there, even though it starts later. But we're going up to the mountain and it's like, I got three layers on and I was getting cold, uh, especially toward the end. So, um, and the one guy was getting sick. He had um, caught some sort of bug or whatever. And just the coldness of the, of the air uh, was just getting to him. And so after lunch, he just kind of like took off for the rest of the day. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, it's, it's just one of those areas that you can, you know, you know, be down in, you know, nice spring, summer weather at one moment and then go up and experience winter. Um, in fact, when, when my mom and sister came to town in 95, um, it was in the middle of the summer. They were there for my birthday uh, and uh, we ended up going up uh, to Alaska to the, the ski slopes and everything there. And there's still piles of snow up there, you know? So, uh, we got to have a snowball fight on July 21st, 1995. So it was pretty awesome. <laughs> and then go down into town and have some ice cream, you know, <laughs> when it was warm. Um, and what is kind of interesting there is it, it does like when they pile the snow up into like, you know, like the Walmart parking lots and stuff like that, those piles get so high and takes so long for all that stuff to melt that, um, especially that 1995 year, cause 94 to 95 was like the third most ever snowfall for, for Anchorage, 121 and a half inches. And there were still piles of snow, like in the Walmart parking lot and stuff like that in, into July. Uh, so it's kind of crazy. So <laughs> Betty Lange, when did you start using dowsing rods? So I um, I don't usually use dowsing rods. That's kind of the funny thing about it. 
the rods belong to Shauna from a device that uh, her father made for her to kind of prevent that whole, you know, manipulation that people can do with the rods. I couldn't take that whole thing because like TSA would have looked at that and been like, yeah, you're, you're not taking that on the plane. Um, I have used them a few times um, throughout my life, throughout my career. Um, if you've seen like my videos with Copperhead Greg Graham, when we've done investigations, we've got the rods out. Um, and I've done before those videos, a few investigations with him, with those rods. Um, oh, the old, the old version of Society of the Haunted back in Oklahoma, Chris Borthick had some rods. And so I try them out sometimes. And so there have been times I've used the rods. Um, it's not usually something that I carry on me and use because we do a lot of video work and people always question the use of rods on the camera they they say you're manipulating them you're screwing around with them all that stuff so it's it's hard to use as a device to prove anything on camera um, which of course is something that i was um very worried about actually with um the alaska triangle was okay how many people are going to watch that and try to call me out on it? i mean it was legit what happened up there um you know you guys know me have known me forever you know that i don't fake anything or anything like that but however many you know millions of people watching the show don't know that about me um i've had like one nasty gram email about it um and the guy was like well i've been uh using dowsing rods for 50 years to find pipes in the ground you know You're like are you stupid and it's like well you know we're three quarters of the way up a mountain in a state park don't have any pipes running along up there and you know dowsing rods can be used to find things like graves as well and there's none of those up there either so you know take into context you know there's nothing up there uh, but yet whenever i would walk across this one area so when i was going kind of we'll just say sideways across the the mountain face whenever i'd hit this spot that one rod would turn inward so it's like okay this is interesting i walk back and forth i did it several times they only you know on the show they show me doing it one time right but it was like I, I, maybe five or six times going back and forth there was always this one spot that i'd hit that the thing would turn in it's like okay this is interesting so let me try to go up and down the mountain and that's where you see me doing that sidestep thing right and so it was consistent boom 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 all the way up and down that it it was staying turned in but then when i would walk forward and backward outside of that range it would straighten back out so there was definitely some sort of line um what i did the show said to the north pole but basically if you took that line and extended it over the mountain yeah sure it would go up to the north pole but what i was observing was basically from the mountaintop down to anchorage uh there was a line so yeah there was there was something there there was anomalous activity right there that the rod was showing me um <clears throat> there was a little bit of activity uh there with the uh with the emf meter not so much um and i'm getting a message here from zoom which we're done with that so i don't know why i'm getting that um so i mean that was like very small um but it was mostly the rods and um yeah again i don't usually use them because of the camera work that we do but um you know, I'm not opposed to using them. I, it's it's an old school method, and um, you know, I I believe in a lot of those old school methods, like using using the stones. Like they showed me with the pendulum. I didn't actually use the pendulum up there, but um, you know, you have that. Um, we talked about it with with Johnny on uh, on the show earlier, and we've talked about it you know several times before on Beyond the Shadows or when we were inside the Upside Down, and like we had Shauna here talking about the the stones and. Um, you know, especially like with the quartz where that can be a conductor, um, of that, of that energy. And we, we see that happen with, uh, with pendulums as well. I think we were just talking about this, what, a couple weeks ago uh, on this show. And, um, so you see me there with the pendulum. I didn't actually use it, but I have used it in locations before. Um, spiral mounds is one that I love to talk about with this because that was one where, um, you know, I was trying to go live, and anytime you'd go up that um, that one mound, which it used to be a uh, an ancient temple that had been up there, you know, the feed would cut out, you know, come down off the mound, 
we'd get the feet again. It was like, what in the world? You know, we're actually up higher. I should have a better signal up here. But it was like down when I'm in the trees, and I'm getting the signal. It's like, doesn't make sense. Go, go up on the mound, it cut out. But then I tried the pendulum up there and the pendulum was like going crazy, you know? And um, yeah, so definitely I, I do believe in using these old school methods. It just doesn't translate well on camera and throwing it up to YouTube. So, um, Missy Stevens Blackman, best air quality and water ever up there. Now that's true. Uh, that is true. Uh, very clean air up there. The water quality is amazing. Um, you know, any of the, the, you know, the natural habitat up there is fantastic. Um, you know, I, I used to know a bunch of guys that would go, um, salmon fishing and I mean, they <laughs> these salmon that you get from the store here, these little things, uh-uh, they'd bring these huge things. Um, it was in a taste, yeah, it would taste so good. So, um, and I'm way behind in the chat. I see 116 new comments. <laughs> so let me scroll down here and see if you guys, um, have anything going on. So, um, as far as other questions. So, I mean, it was, um, it was definitely amazing up there, uh, getting getting to go up there, film with those guys, and um, <laughs> Tom McNicholas shrinking the cold air. Okay, um, let's see, I know dead air time, right? And it just blew by like all those. So, all right, if you guys have any questions that I missed, go ahead and throw them down in there because it just blew by all of the comments, <laughs> and. Uh, so, all right. So, where do we go from from here with with the Alaska Triangle? Um, you know, kind of giving my my final thoughts about everything that we're we're doing here. So, it's really pun intended, tip of the iceberg, right? <laughs> I mean, it it showed how in these type of areas like this, where you can get all of this different type of activity. Now we're talking about a vortex type area and basically a vortex, like I said on, on the show, is basically that swelling of energy out of the earth's core into, into the land. And so that's what these, the ancient people were tapping into um, to be able to utilize this energy. That's why they were creating these different, uh, what we call sites of power there, you know, these different stone monuments and, um, you know, utilizing granite, like Johnny pointed out on, on edge of the rabbit hole earlier, you know, why are they using granite? Well, it's 55% quartz. So the quartz in the granite, you know, and granite's, you know, a hard, hard rock. So it's going to last a long time, but it has, um, it's mostly comprised of quartz. So it's going to have those, uh, electric properties to, that you can utilize and tap into that, uh, energy in the ground. And so then comes the idea of portals. And so this is a lot of what's going to be part of the video that's coming out at the end of the week. Portals, vortices, and how all this stuff ties in together. Um, so basically the portal is what we would term, you know, basically like a doorway into another dimension that something can pass through. But it's using the energy from these vortices that are in the area. So all this energy that's swelling up the portals are being created and then like the the missing Douglas, did it pass through a portal? That was something that was postulated on the show. Did it pass through a portal into another dimension? Something I didn't get a chance to tell Johnny about on the show was, because he did mention the, the Douglas real quick, you know, did it pass through a portal into another dimension? Well, one of the things that they were talking about was the, um, uh, the radio transmissions that they were getting. That was, it was just a few... Um, it was, they were hard to make out, but some people have speculated that if they pass through a portal, never to be seen again, that perhaps the radio transmissions were coming through that portal so we could hear them, but not see them. And this is actually something I talk about in the, in the book, A Walk in the Shadows, when I get into interdimensional beings and why I think the shadow people are interdimensional beings. And I give an example of a shadow person that I saw and how it took off, blew right through a door, didn't see the door uh, move and although you heard the slam of that door and so the idea was that our planes of existence were crossing that moment so I was able to see it on its plane of existence but I couldn't see the door move because the door's on my plane of existence but the sound 
the sound works on a different wavelength and that was able to pass through. So that's kind of the idea of what was going on with this missing Douglas airplane in the very first episode. So um, there's a lot of these different things that we're going to uh, keep diving into as we go along. Um, so Betty, how many triangles are there noted now? Um, that's a great question. Dave Wilkerson says he loves the Alaska Triangle. Thank you very much. Um, I'd have—I mean, that's something I'd have to look up and see if anybody has a definitive number, um, because you hear from time to time of a lot of these like new triangle areas, and they're not really like new. You know, they're areas that are exhibiting some um, different activity like this. And somebody comes along and says, well, if you look at it, you know, things are happening here, 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 between here, and, you know, it ends up looking like a triangle area, so they end up naming it that. Like, Bridgewater Triangle is is one like that out in Massachusetts. It's a smaller area um, in, in southern Massachusetts, and, you know, it's something that came about, what was it, about 30 years ago? Um, Lauren Coleman came out with his book um, that kind of described this area. And, you know, it's not a perfect triangle because there's activity that kind of happens around it too. But, you know, they kind of designated this area as as the triangle area. And so, you know, things like that will happen where people will start to notice things. Like people are talking about a Nevada triangle now. Uh, people are noticing things um, down in Arizona. Uh, so there's a lot of these different areas around the world that people are starting to kind of piece together. There are these things that happen here. And they notice that it happens in a certain region and they end up naming it a triangle. Um, and so we end up talking about how, um, these triangle areas of the world, you know, have significant power to them. Um, and, and people have mapped these things out over the world you know, they, people talk about like sacred geometry and things like that. And, um, like, um, Freddie Silva, uh, in his book, the divine, the divine blueprint, uh, he has a lot of these different, um, uh, and some of them are triangles, but he has a lot of these uh, uh, geometric elements kind of mapped out. And he'll show like um, sacred mountains, you know, like three sacred mountains in a specific area of the world, like boom, boom, boom. They all create a triangle and there's all this stuff that happens within that area. So it's really interesting uh, once you start diving down that rabbit hole. So, um, so Sharon McLean, do people get disoriented in places like that? Vortexes, I bet they could. Yeah, um, that's, uh, that is something that's commonly reported. Um, is Adam Tillery in the house? I know you're lurking out there. Adam mentioned it on a uh, show that we did uh, the other week. I brought it up. We, uh, Stonehenge came up in the topic. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and... Um, yeah, he he verified. Hey, he was there at Stonehenge, and he was feeling, uh, he was feeling it there. He, uh, in in fact, on that same episode, I mentioned Freddie's uh, technological term there, a uh, technical term there, uh, the tingly winglies. <laughs> but yeah, you do you do feel that kind of uh, uh, that feeling, right? You, you feel that energy kind of encompass you when you get into these different areas. Um, you know, I've been in, in some different areas in which, yeah, you, you start maybe feeling like a little bit of lightheaded. You feel, um, sometimes you just might suddenly feel like really aware. Sometimes what'll happen to me, um, it'll be like a, um, um, a heightened sense of alert. Like, um, all of a sudden, like, you know, just kind of everything's tingling in, in the head and, I'm starting to hear more things, and actually my eyesight will improve, and I have terrible vision. I'm wearing contacts, but all of a sudden, things will just kind of like sharpen, and it's like, okay, all right, something's up, <laughs> you know? Um, but even like when we uh, when we do the paranormal investigations, and we go into a, um, you know, like a room that's that's haunted, and some entity is there, some sort of spirit is there, you can kind of feel that energy walking into the room, like, oh, Oh yeah, yeah. Somebody's here. Somebody's here. And other people, more skilled than I, will be able to say, "Oh yeah, it's a, it's a woman, and she's in her, you know, you know, early teens, and you know, whatever it is." And I'm just like, "Well, somebody's here, yeah." 
<laughs> yeah, so it's like that a little bit. Uh, but you can feel it. You can feel that energy. And so when you're in these uh, these vortex areas, when you're in these triangle areas, um, when you're at an ancient site of power, you can actually feel that energy. And so, um, you know, what the ancients did was they learned how to tap into it. And they learned how to enter into altered states of consciousness and to be able to use it to, you know, see visions, maybe look at the future, maybe be able to uh, tap into ancient knowledge. Um, some people speculate about whether or not they were able to um, encode data into the quartz and some of these stones that are there. Maybe there's a way to extract it back out. Um, some of these locations were used for healing as well. So they would bring, you know, the sick and infirm to there and, and use that power to try to heal them. And so these are things that these days we're, we're starting to look at again or trying to, you know, remember what this this ancient technology was to be able to utilize it uh, because we've kind of forgotten it over time and you know we're we are now revisiting uh you know these types of things so i I think it's wonderful um you know what we've been doing lately because we haven't as a as a society as a culture been using it for thousands and thousands of years and you know you you see kind of the world today and say yeah we, we need some of that ancient stuff again so see what other questions you guys have down there. Um, yeah, Missy Blackman, that was wild about the Douglas and the transmitting of those signals. Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, really, really interesting um, what happened there. And it's a shame that they never found the plane. But, you know, what was really crazy was like um, it was a month or two later, a smaller plane crashed in that uh, area near uh, Snag in uh, Yukon Territory. Found it immediately. Crew was okay. You know, minor cuts and bruises you know but yet this bigger massive plane with even more people they can't find it at all really (laughs) kathy siliento question looking at the alaska triangle it seems like it's mostly over the land or ice so to speak is there a difference in the happenings up there as opposed to the bermuda triangle which is mostly over water um very good question there's still a water element um because you mentioned the ice and there's a lot of snow there too. So there's still water that plays into this. Um, Lake Iliamna, where you know they were reporting a, a lot of like some of the um, the cryptid activity, like the um, the possible um, serpent that's there, water serpent, um, the uh, Bigfoot that may be in the area, even the Thunderbirds. Um, so there's a lot of cryptid activity around there, but there's still snow, ice, like all year long up there. Uh, it never completely goes away. Um, but you're right, it is a little bit different that it's mostly over land. But a lot of these triangles either, um, yeah, they could be over water. Bermuda Triangle is definitely one. That's what this one everybody um, talks about. Bridgewater Triangle has the Hockamock Swamp in it. Um, so there's still a water element to that. This Nevada Triangle that people are talking about, eh, not so much of a uh, of a water element there, right? But at one point in time, that used to be a seabed that used to be under the ocean. So could the possibility that it had once been underwater have something to do with it? Is the Earth's crust possibly a little um, thinner there, maybe because of it? Um, are there enough of the exposed stone uh, in that area that would have the properties needed to create that uh that energy um 33rd parallel also goes through there as well and and johnny was talking about that too so there could be some elements to that so i would say that the water element in these triangle areas um would make the energy a little different because um you know water of course is a uh, amplifier of that type of energy so perhaps something like with the bermuda triangle perhaps a little bit stronger there and, uh, you know, maybe that's why there's been so many, you know, missing planes, ships, stuff like that. Uh, Bruce Gurning was on there talking about his experience, basically flying through a vortex. Um, and somehow in a hundred, uh, in three minutes, he flew a hundred miles, you know, some crazy number like that. Um, so the water could definitely amplify. And maybe that's what happens in some of these different areas. Uh, the Alaska Triangle being so big, uh, you have a lot of things playing in there. So you do have water and ice, um, um, like the, you know, you got the Pacific Ocean right there. Um, you do have the big lakes, and there's all kinds of rivers and streams, and of course the snow and ice. So there is all that, but you also have uh, the volatility of the land. So basically, 
it's um, whenever you have like an earthquake, right? You have that um, release of energy and it has to go somewhere and it has to manifest and something is going to happen following that. Of course, you'll have all the little aftershocks and everything after that too. After that like 6.9 earthquake that I talked about, um, that happened in May of 93, there was like something like 100, 120 aftershocks after that for like the next couple of months. Um, and so all that energy is being released and it's got to do something with it. So that could be where a lot of these things are manifesting up there. Now you might not have all of that type of seismic activity in, in like the Bermuda Triangle, but you still have all that water. So it's different ways that the area is able to get energy to be able to manifest. Um, so good question. Good question. So what other questions you guys have? So, uh, Benny Lange, so UFO uh, could be us in the future traveling through portals. Ah, now you're onto something. Now you're onto something. Could be. Could be. That's, that's speculated upon. Um, could some of these UFOs, extraterrestrials, ghosts, um, spirits, shadow people, could, could any of these entities that we see, somebody, some people talk about like the Shimmer Man or um, you know, um, I've heard about like a molten metal man, any of these like strange entities like that, any of them or possibly all of them could be us in another time and place, maybe coming back to visit. Are they using portals to be able to go back and forth between dimensions? I think that's extremely possible that they're able to do that. It could be that a it could even be like the ancients. Maybe the ancients knew how to do that. And maybe a future society knows how to do it. We've kind of forgotten how to do it in, in this time and place. But perhaps the past and the future have both figured it out. And perhaps they're using those portals to go back and forth. We talk about stargates. So could a, you know, a stargate, could it not only send us to another place in the universe, but could it take us to another point in time in our own world? Um extremely possible you know, we've uh, we've talked before about stories of people seeing uh, apparitions and this is a little bit different but people seeing apparitions of like a woman in a Victorian dress or what have you and the woman turns and looks at them as if they are the apparition well think about what just happened there you just witnessed since you're looking at the Victorian woman you just witnessed somebody from the past while they're actually currently living that life, like two points in time have, have crossed each other here. So you're looking at the past, but she is looking at the future because she just saw you. So she's looking at the future. So that's a time travel moment right there, actually. It's really interesting to think about. Um, Tim Schoen, does the Alaska Triangle work in any way similar to the Bermuda Triangle? I kind of talked about that a little bit there. Um, talking about the uh the difference with the with the water um so i mean yeah in, in a lot of ways you're, you're talking about um that vortex energy uh that that swelling energy coming up from the uh, earth's core and basically there's something in that area about the the construction of that and so with the bermuda triangle we don't know a lot about what's um what's on the seabed there um especially when we get to the deeper areas i mean we know a little bit um, in the Bermuda Triangle is the Bimini Road. Um, so maybe there's something with that. Maybe there was an ancient culture that built something there to try to harness that. And that's what the Bimini Road is. We don't know. A lot of people try to say, you know, maybe that's evidence of Atlantis. I don't, I don't think the Bimini Road is Atlantis, but I do think it's an ancient culture, um, that is down there because it does look very man-made and perhaps they are using the energy from the triangle, um, to be able to, you know, harness it and do something with it. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of similarities be between the triangles and, um, and like the activity that you witness from there, uh, obviously with all the like missing planes and ships and disappearances and stuff like that. Um, so there's definitely a lot of similarities and, and basically, you know, the, the root of it is the earth, right? The energy is coming from the earth. There's the telluric currents that go around the earth. That's what makes up the Earth's energy grid or the telluric currents. People talk about ley lines. We'll get into that into the video that we're going to uh, release on Friday as well. So when people talk about ley lines. It's kind of a misnomer. So the ley lines are actually the um, 
know, geological lines that we have noticed. Like if you look at the book, The Old Straight Track, um, basically noticing that all these different like temples, churches, ancient sites of power, they all line up together along that same line. Well, the reason why that is is because the people in the past were able to pick up on that energy there and they're like, this is the place we need to build our temple because this is where all the energy is, you know? And so they were tapping into that energy. We thought, I mean, Vanessa brought that up, like in the churches that she was going to in, in Ireland and what have you, that, you know, she was breaking down crying, even though she's not a religious person, she's a very sensitive person, was picking up on that energy there. And these people built these churches and temples and everything on these sites because of that energy. And so... And that's what they're tapping into is the Tolera current. It's just they these things happen to line up because they're built along these lines, along these currents. And so we end up calling them a ley line because they all line up. But that's what's that's what's at the root of this is that earth energy. And so um, these different triangles have a much larger area. There's 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 some reason for that particular area as to why it's basically venting. I just hit the microphone. Why it's venting up and being accessible. Um, it's, you know, maybe something to do with the water, maybe something to do with the minerals in the ground and the show. I talked about different metals cause I mean, metals and mineral there, there are different, you know, metals and, uh, stones and what have you within that ground. Um, especially a place like Alaska, that's all, you know, that has a lot of that, you know, rock and the mountains and all that, that, that structure is able to harness that energy that's coming up out of the ground. It's a very volatile place too. So it's always moving. It's always shifting. So the energy is coming up, the stone and the metals in the ground are harnessing it and is pushing it up into the air, creating that vortex. And so, you know, that's where you start getting the portals and everything. So, all right. Uh, Missy Blackman almost makes me think there's something like a Merkaba in the middle of the earth and triangles are sticking out. Hell, <laughs> you never know. Although it is supposed to be molten down there. So um, I know I'm way behind on the chat again. Um, Sharon McLean, that healing uh, energy is fascinating. Absolutely. Uh, Shauna says, strong energies give me the shivas. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's, you know, like when we do our in investigations, you know, she feels it a lot stronger than I Um you know, and she might be able to pick up on, you know, specifically who's there. Sometimes I'll get an idea of, yeah, it, it's it's female. I can usually tell the difference between male and female. I can get about that far. Um, maybe that energy can knock out the coronavirus. Yeah, maybe. You know, I forgot something. I was going to put a Sam Adams right here <laughs> and say, I don't believe in this coronavirus stuff. I'm, I'm, I drink Sam Adams. <laughs> Um, Tim Schoen, if they believe the Douglas vanished into a portal or vortex, how would they know that it did, assuming that is what happened? Well, that's the thing is there's no, there's, there's no way to inherently prove it because it would have passed through the portal and it's on the other side, you know, so, um, unless, you know, it went into the future somewhere and all of a sudden we find that, that Douglas still flying like, you know, next year or something, we don't know, um, you know, that's, that's one of the issues with this. I mean, it could have gone into a parallel universe for all we know. The, the idea of the radio transmissions coming from the portal is a theory. So we are theorizing all this. I think they're very good theories, um, and they make a lot of sense, but there's no way to know for sure. Um, but again, where did the Douglas go? It was, you know, it was a perfectly fine day. Um, you know, and like I said, like just a month or two later, there was another plane that crashed basically on the same route. It was a smaller plane, so it would be harder to find, and they had no problem finding it. So where did the big, huge one go? Doesn't make sense. Um, Sharon McLean, the Bermuda Triangle felt amazing and weird too. You know what's funny, though, is is um, we travel through these things all the time, right? So like a lot of cruises, of course, go through the Bermuda Triangle all the time, Um you know, my parents just took a cruise and my dad was making fun of like, <laughs> you know, I go, I, I'm, you know, taking a boat through the Bermuda Triangle, you know, no sweat off my back. And I've, I've done one of the cruises down there before. And yeah, same thing. But, you know, even, you know, flying up to Alaska, it's like, you know, to film the Alaska Triangle, basically I'm flying through the Alaska Triangle. So it doesn't happen like all the time. It's not like a constant thing. Um, we don't know how or why it, it kicks it off and like, 
it happens to one thing, uh, you know, a plane here, a boat there, and why not others? Um, I think it kind of, um, you know, pulsates. You know, if you look at a lot of the other things that happen around the world, you have this pulsating energy, um, you know, like whether it's like thermal venting or a volcano or whatever, it's not constantly, constantly spewing and going forth. It's, you know, spurts and spurts and spurts because it builds up that energy and then expels it. Um, with a volcano, it builds up the pressure and expels it. With geysers, it builds up the pressure and expels it. So probably the same thing with these with these vortices um, in, in these triangle areas that it builds up the energy and expels it and then something happens. Um, so let's see, what else do you guys have? Um, Michael Acciano, we are, we are ghosts as well. Well, yeah, to, <laughs> when the ghosts actually see us, <laughs> we are ghosts to them. That does happen. Um, there are a number of people that have reported that, that we, we show up as ghosts to the ghost sometimes. Um, Dave Wilkerson, do you think that someday all these people that went missing will return? Hmm. I don't know. Um, I mean, some people that go missing go missing for nefarious reasons. It's not everybody got sucked into a portal. Um, there were 16,000 people since 1988 that went missing in Alaska. Do I believe all of them got sucked into a portal? No. Um, in Alaska, it's it's not too hard to hide a body, you know? Um, <laughs> it's People don't realize how big it is up there. It's almost three times the size of Texas, right? So it's huge, all kinds of space. Um, on the one show, they had to, when they were going to Mount Hayes, they had to to fly into the area. There's like no road that goes up there. Um, you know, it's, and that's, that's why um, the bush pilots up there are very popular. You know, people have to fly into different areas because there's no road that goes there. Um, I kind of learned that the hard way when, um, when I lived up there. So I talked before about my mother and sister coming into town, uh, summer of 1995, and I wanted to take them you know, to go see some different things. Well, the one day I'm just like looking at a map. We didn't have like Google and, you know, stuff back then. So it's like, I'm looking at a map and I'm like, there's a glacier right there. Let's go check it out. But the thing that I didn't really like realize is that there's no way to like drive to the glacier. <laughs> it's like this road is kind of going around. It's like, oh yeah, I see it over there. Yeah. And, and the map, it's, you know, it looks like it might be within walking distance on the map where it's like five miles. Like, we're not going to walk five miles. Glacier. But there it is over there. It's crazy. Um, so, Robert Hanna, do you think the ancient people somehow figured out how to use this energy to move heavy rocks? Um, they figured out some way to move the heavy rocks. So... There's some different speculation here. Um, the guy that built Coral Castle figured out how to use it. Now, there's some people that speculate perhaps it has something to do with the magnetism of of some of these different uh, stones. So, one of the observations about him uh, were some kids walking by, and they noticed him with uh, a couple of stone-like objects that looked like snow cones, like the you know, the funnel type of snow cones. And so since then, because nobody really knew how he did it, I mean, you know, he kind of published some stuff before he passed, and he had this black box thing on, on top of his tripod. Some people think that the secret was in the black box. Some people think it was in these, these things that he was holding. So were those, perhaps between all of this, some way to be able to use that... Um, electric energy and move the stone maybe a lot of people speculate sound that there's different you know sound devices and, and we have been able to prove that you know sound can move objects on a very small scale though um, that we're doing it today so I do believe that you know, probably a mixture of both of these that um, they did they did figure out how to use um, the properties of some of these objects to be able to um, you know, people believe that the pyramids were, were actually power plants, you know, that they were actually able to use electricity. And, and there are some, there is some evidence of like ancient batteries and things like that. So did they have some sort of, um, um, more deprecated type of electric power? 
maybe. Um, did they figure out how to use some of these? Well, they, they knew how to use crystals, um, so we know that. Um, and the ability to use sound, were they able to figure out how to use it on a bigger scale? I believe so. Um, so I believe the ancients, they absolutely used a technology that we're not aware of today on how to move these huge stones and rocks because we can't do it today, right? I mean, there's, there's some of these that we just flat can't do. Um, and, and some of them just recently, we just now built like a crane that could actually lift this particular rock. And even to do so would be very dangerous. You know, it's like insane um, what we would have to do today to move some of this stuff. So how in the world did they do it back then when, you know, the archaeologists are saying that, you know, they had these like really, really primitive tools. And they're like, yeah, you know, they put it on some rollers. Okay, how did they get it on the rollers to begin with? <laughs> I mean, it would crush the rollers if they got it on there for one. But how do they even get it on the rollers to start with? <laughs> it's like, seriously? Come on. Um, yeah, they had some other form of technology that we just aren't aware of. And we're still trying to figure it out. So, um, let's see. Roland Gerodius, have you brought up the Asian version of the Bermuda Triangle, Devil's Sea? It's funny, the closeness to mystical cities, Bermuda Triangle, Atlantis, the Devil's Sea, Yanaguni, is there a relation between them? They're all related. I mean, I, I talk about the connected universe anyway, and that these things are all related. And, and basically what it comes down to is kind of like what I was talking earlier with the with the telluric currents. Um, these currents are, you know, I mean, they're running through the entire globe. We talk about the Earth's energy grid, which is basically what these telluric currents are running on. And so, yes, from one one part of the world to the other, you're seeing this energy flow. And there's some areas, these different triangle areas, that are able to harness this energy much stronger than some other parts of the world. And so that's what we're seeing here. So, yeah, Roland, these, these are all definitely uh, uh, related to each other. So let's see what else you got, because I'm way back in the chat here, guys. You guys have had some good questions, and um, I'm just trying to roll with it. So, um, Kathy Cilianto, I wonder if you got a reaction with your dowsing rods. If you flew a drone over the reactive area, if anything would happen to the drone. Ah, the drone. I've had weird things happen with my drone before. So an example, I've talked about this before in another uh another video I'll bring it up here so I had my drone at um, the Great Circle Earthworks in Newark Ohio massive massive complex um, you know there's and what's kind of sad about it in a way it's preserved it but in a way it's like a shame so a lot of this these earthworks out there are actually part of a golf course because they're part of the golf course <laughs> They've been able to be preserved, but it's like, really? It's a golf course? They otherwise would have been tilled up and developed upon and all that, which is what's happened to a lot of these things across America. But the Great Circle is still there, you know, perfectly preserved as a Great Circle because they actually used it in like the 1800s, early 1900s as a fairgrounds because uh, it's huge and massive. Well, there's a mound in the middle. They call it Eagle Mound. Uh, because it's kind of in that shape, although there's no proof that the ancient Hopewell culture called it the Eagle Mound or anything like that. Uh, but that's what we call it. And there's a tree on this mound, but because you know, it's like in the center of, of the earth of the Great Circle. Um, I decided oh, I'm going to launch my drone from there and get some you know aerial footage of, of the area of, of the Great Circle. Perfectly newly charged battery. And um, my battery life on that drone gets about 22 to 24 minutes. I had that drone in the air not more than, f it wasn't even five minutes. And all of a sudden, I'm getting the low battery signal. It's like, really? But think about it. I'm in the middle of this circle. And, you know, the mound is in the middle of the circle. And I already talked about the mound, at <laughs> the, the mound there at Spiral Mound with the crazy stuff that was going on with the pendulum and my cell phone and, you know, trying to do a live stream and all that stuff. Well, here it is again on a mound in a sacred site that all of a sudden my drone is like going crazy because now it has no battery and it's like this was fully charged. So, um, so yeah, um, it would be an interesting test to see if the, the drone would react funny uh, along that line that I was, I was picking up there on Flat Top Mountain. For sure, it would be interesting. Um, 
I'm, I'm seeing dinosaur mic. I'm not quite getting that. Wow, it just it scrolled all the way down again. <laughs> uh, and yes, we have lost so much, so much knowledge. And um, you know what's sad? We, we keep losing even more. So I just finished... Uh, we're going to have uh, Dr. Heather Lynn on here again uh, at the end of the month, archaeologist. Um, I just finished listening to her new book, The Anunnaki Connection. I, um, she's supposed to be sending me a, a, a copy, but I just went ahead and bought the audiobook so I could go ahead and listen to it. Just finished it. At the end of the book, she's talking about like the looting that has gone out at a lot of museums and, and what have you. And we talked about that when we had her on the show. Um, we've had her on the show twice, but the last time, uh, last year. Well, one of the things she also mentioned that I hadn't known about was the destruction of the um, the National Museum there in Brazil. They lost 20 million, 20 million different ancient artifacts. And they weren't all from Brazil. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of stuff there from, from South America. There was also stuff from like Egypt and all over the world that were in this museum. You know, they were losing mummies and ancient skulls, ancient dinosaur artifacts, you know, all this different stuff that they had in this museum. Um, you know, all kinds of different scrolls and texts and just gone. 20 million pieces. So even though we've lost, we've lost a crap ton just to time, even the stuff that we're that we are finding now. We have people stealing it. Um, we have people like what ISIS was doing over there in Syria and purposely destroying the stuff. And then we have whatever in the world happened there in Brazil. It's still unknown as to how that fire started. Some people, some you know, I mean, some people are trying to say accident. Others are saying there was criminal negligence or something maybe even purposeful because there was stuff like it took them like a half an hour to even get water to start pumping there because you know the. You know, the alarms didn't go off and like the fire hydrants there didn't have enough pressure and just weird stuff. So, I mean, we're still today losing boatloads of of ancient history, you know. So it, it's becoming, even though we're doing a lot to um, research and try to discover um, what happened back in the past, is becoming increasingly harder. It's like, okay, we're finding all this stuff in a dig site, but oh, over there, we just lost all that for some crazy reason. Um, you know, so it, it, it gets tough. You know, you look at you know, a wonderful site like uh, Gobekli Tepe, and it's like, you know, we're, we're seeing civilization, you know, 10,000 years ago. Awesome. You know, ancient temple site. People didn't, uh, the, the scholars um, were saying before that, well, you know, there wasn't civilization that long ago. Hey, there's civilization. You know, but that's kind of being exposed to the elements, and there's so much turmoil in that area of the world. It's like, um, I just, I really hope it's safe. You know, I just would hate to see some sort of faction come in there and obliterate this wonderful site, and then we lose um, what little bit that we were starting to learn there. So, um, it's just, it's a constant, constant battle. Um, so, all right. Well, we are, um, we're at our hour mark here. So, um, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. I'm starting to lose my voice anyway. So, Robert Hanna, there was one in Iraq supposedly looted by her, mili by her military. Yeah, um, she talks about that in her, her book as well. We talked about that the last time we had her on the show. And yeah, there was a lot of looting that went on. It was like they knew exactly which items to take. Um, so, there was definitely an inside job done there. Um, it's, it's really, really terrible. So we're going to have her on March 31st. So, um, yeah, it did, Tammy, it did go quick. <laughs> it did go quick. And I'm sorry if I missed your questions. It's like, I was trying to scroll through and then all of a sudden it would flip all the way down. 